We're so excited today to have my friend David. You know, he has worked hard. 2017 is when you finally said to me, I think it's me, right? I am him, right? <laughs> Here I am, send me. That's right. And I don't remember reeling you in so much as, uh, as you saying, I want to do this. That's right. God's That's calling right. me yeah. to this. Yeah. And so we're super excited, aren't we, to hear from David today. Yes, yes. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, Nova Community Church. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Um, yeah, I'm just so grateful. And uh, we have members of our team, uh, the core team here from the Well SUV. And I, I feel like this is just an amazing opportunity for us. Um, as I stand here, I, you know, it is definitely God's grace, uh, you know, for our churches to come together to see this greater kingdom movement, uh, this is something that is going way beyond us, you know, way beyond what we're doing in SGV. This is something that God is really doing. And uh, I'm just grateful to, uh, for Dean, his heart. Uh, yeah, you didn't reel me in. <laughs> I kind of came to you. Uh, but he has just a great heart for disciple-making, multiplication, and uh, just it, it's a joy to see what God is doing through all of this. So thank you for allowing us to be here uh, this morning. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, just share with you, I think, a passage that uh, I, you know, just can kind of follow up with this video, but I think what God is doing through the well uh, would hopefully just really encourage our hearts, would open uh, our perspective uh, to see his heart, his kingdom, and uh, what he can do through very just kind of ordinary people like you and I. And uh, people that just, if we are yielded to the Lord, we can see God do some great things. So uh, with that, I'm going to invite you to uh, just join me in looking at the book of Acts. So uh, this is Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 8. This is Acts 8, 1 through 8. Okay, there we go. All right. So this is what Luke records. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and earning house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Please join me in a word of prayer, and uh, let's ask the Lord to open our hearts. Uh, please pray with me. Father, uh, so thankful uh, for your great grace in our lives, and uh, Lord, 
uh, it's amazing that you have not only saved us, but called us to be part of your kingdom work, this mission that is so great, uh, that is going around the world for your glory. And I pray that you would open our hearts this morning to your word, to what you want to say. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, remind us of the greatness of this mission that you've called us to, and that you might energize us once again. And we pray this for the glory of your name, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me uh, set the context up a little bit for you. Um, Acts chapter 8, and uh, what we find here is that the Holy Spirit has come on the day of Pentecost. The church gets started. Peter preaches this great sermon. 3,000 people get saved. Uh, The church is just, uh, it's growing, it's thriving. Uh, You see in Acts chapter 3 to 4 that they enjoy this great time of peace and growth. And uh, it's this beautiful picture of the body of Jesus that is filled with the Spirit. But then, in Acts chapter 5, just as the church is growing, and this is what happens whenever uh, God's kingdom is advancing, is there's always opposition. So Satan attacks the church. In Acts chapter 5, you see Ananias and Sapphira, and they're two believers within church, but they're trying to take credit for something that they have no right to take credit for. Pride comes in. And, uh, and Satan's trying to just kind of bring sin and division and all of that. In Acts chapter 6, then there's arguing, there's bickering uh, that's going on in the church. Then, you know, they have to get organized and set up leadership, all that. And then in Acts chapter 7, then there, the attacks start coming out from the outside and there's persecution. So, uh, here... You know, where it says that, you know, there's this uh, outbreak. Stephen is stoned to death. Uh, Stephen is really kind of their all-star preacher. Okay, so uh, you can imagine that he's kind of like the Steph Curry of the church, right? You take Steph Curry away, or uh, if you're a recent Nuggets, the Nicola, Nicholas Jock, Jokic or whatever. <laughs> yes, okay, you are the Nuggets fan. Okay, yeah. I'm not a big Nuggets guy, sorry. Uh, Go L.A., right? So anyway, um, Steph Curry, Nick Jokic, that guy. Imagine taking the All-Star out, right? It's like, who are they now? Uh, This is is kind of a discouraging, bleak situation. It feels dark, overwhelming. There's conflicts from within the church. There's attacks coming from outside. And I don't know about you, but does it sometimes feel like we're on the losing side as a church? It's hard. The world that we live in today feels dark, doesn't it? Feels hopeless. Um, you see, you hear about mass shootings almost every single day now. There's economic instability, it continues. There's war in Ukraine. And then add to that the fact that a lot of times it feels harder and harder to even just be a Christian in the culture that we live in. Uh, to be a Christian, right, if you identify, it means you're, you're narrow-minded, um, you are judgmental, hypocritical, and, and then there's all these touchy issues of 
of sexuality and gender and uh, race issues and kind of you know, how trying to negotiate all of those things, right? It's, it's really tricky. Add to that maybe struggles that you may be going through in your own faith right now. Some of you are sitting here and you've got your own doubts. Does God, is he real? Why doesn't he answer my prayers? You know, why, why do I have to go through such hard times? Why is it so hard just to make it? But God is not faced by what's happening. And God is not caught off guard or discouraged. He remains very much in control, as we see throughout this book. In fact, what I would say is this. It's during some of the most discouraging and darkest times in our lives, as well as sometimes in the world around us, that I believe that God is doing some of his greatest work. Because it's in the darkest times that I believe that God can shine his light the brightest. This is who Jesus is. This is what his kingdom is about. This displays his glory. So um, what I've just entitled this message today is really simple. And that is God's mission using God's means for God's glory. God's mission using God's means for God's glory. God's mission. Go back with me to verses 1 through 4. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And it says that they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men buried Stephen, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering, the house, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And now those who were scattered went about preaching the, world, uh, the word. Now, what is God's mission? What is it? God's mission is to show forth his love, his grace, through Jesus to every people, to every nation. This is what Jesus told his band of disciples, right? Like, uh, he, he gave them advance to know this, hey, guys, um, I'm, you are going to go. You are going to make disciples. This is the game plan. And he says in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is, the, I'm, I'm telling you in advance, this is what's going to happen. But there's something within our human nature that tends to resist God's plan. And there's something within us that resists change. We resist risks and leaving behind what's predictable and comfortable oftentimes. Even when these early Christians, even when the church was growing, what they were doing was they were spreading the gospel, but they were spreading it just among their own people. And they were keeping it kind of within their circle. That's what was happening. So what does God do? All of these things you see happening, Acts, you know, 
five, six, seven, eight, and all the kind of, all of a sudden there's this chaos and uh, all these things are starting to, to sort of just break out. This is part of God's plan. And what it is what he's doing to get them to be part of his greater plan. God allowed this persecution to get them into his mission plan and get the early Christians to do what he wanted them to do from the beginning. And Stephen's death was part of that. And so it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The persecution, this is what it did. It forced the Christians to have to just go, right? Samaria, you know, Judea, like, just, just go. That's what it forced them to do. I was, uh, as you saw in the video, part of my journey and part of my, uh, just part of my life and, and just a great part of my life was being able to serve the Lord in China for about 10 years. And all my uh, friends that I had worked with out there in China, all, all my foreign friends, the, the missionaries, uh, by this point, and shortly even after I left the country, uh, most of them have been pretty much expelled out of the country, except for just, just a few that are still there. But pretty much everyone's gone at this point. And it was hard because... For many of us, and many of them, they made their homes there. Uh, they built great relationships. Uh, they invested deeply into the people around them. They were, you know, they were, they had fruitful ministries. The, the work was going well. And then all of a sudden, for some of them, they go to the airport, and right at the airport, there's a security officer that takes them to a secret room and then pretty much says, you are not allowed to come into our country anymore. And all their stuff, their belongings, their possessions, everything. I mean, it's still an apartment. And they can't go back to retrieve even their stuff. And then in an instant, their lives are completely turned upside down. It's like, where do we go now? What do we do? This has been our life. Um, it was not easy. But in the big picture of things... What it has done is it has caused and has forced the people that they were investing in and working with, now it's caused them to have to step up into their roles of leadership. And they are now having to take this baton, yeah, not in the timing that they wanted, not in the way that they wanted, but in the way that God has arranged. And now they're having to take it and say, okay, we've got to do this now. We've got to figure it out. But the work is going on. Why? Because it's God who ultimately is the one who carries the work. He's the one. And you know, the same thing happened to this country about 70 years ago in 1949. Uh, during that time, all the missionaries were expelled out of China when the Communist Party took over. And when they had taken over and everyone was gone, this seemed to be a complete disaster. Like, what's going to happen now? But because of that, all the missionaries who were expelled, they ended up taking the gospel to, uh, throughout the rest of Asia to a lot of people who had never heard about Jesus, take the gospel there, 
And again, it forced the people there to not have to rely upon the missionaries, but it forced them to have to step up. And now, today, because of that, the church exploded after 1949 in size. Today, Christians are about 30 to 40 times larger than it was 70 years ago. If you look at the graph, it's just like kind of steady, steady, steady growth up until 1949. But after 1949, it just, it's like this ex exponential curve when all the foreigners were expelled. This was God's plan. Um, God will not let his people grow complacent. He loves the world too much. He loves his bride too much to leave them in one spot. God gives times of refreshing, and he gives times of peace, but then he allows some of these other things. Why? Because it, it gets his people involved in his mission in the world. You heard this in the video too, and uh, I've shared this with our, our core team, our church plant core team, a number of times. And I've shared with them this, that my goal in the San Gabriel Valley, in the planting of the well SGV, um, my goal is not to plant a church. Okay? Uh, I don't want to just simply plant a church. Planting a church is good. It's nice. But that's actually not the goal. And for me, the goal is that we are planting a church so that we can make disciples. It's about mentality. If, we, if the goal is simply to plant a church, what happens? We get to a size, uh, people come out, we're stable, our finances are stable, uh, we have enough people in attendance, all of that. And then we can say, we did it. We're successful. We planted a church. And then we kind of just, oh, that's nice, right? And sort of sit back. But if the goal is to make disciples and planting a church is simply the means, then we can never sort of just sit back. That means that the goal is not simply planting this church. The goal is that we are making disciples who try to make disciples or disciples who make disciples and plant churches that will plant churches. That's the real goal. The work doesn't end. And the mission in the kingdom is far greater than the well SGV. It's far greater than San Gabriel Valley. It's far greater than the South Bay. It's about what God is doing around L.A., California, around the world. And that's so much greater of a vision, isn't it? So much more compelling to be part of. And so that's really the goal. And how does he do it? God's mission and God's means. It says in verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were scattered. Um, who is it who was scattered? It wasn't the apostles, the so-called professionals. It was the lay people. The everyday ordinary Christian who went about preaching the word. Now, don't get thrown off by this phrase, preaching the word. In here... Preaching the word, it doesn't mean, 
you know, that you went to seminary, got a degree, you're a professional speaker and teacher, you come up and speak to an audience. This is not what preaching the word means. Preaching the word simply means to evangelize. They went around sharing the good news, evangelizing wherever they went. In other words, it was every Christian sharing the good news of Jesus wherever they went. Um, Michael Green, he has a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And he documents in this book, how is it that 12 just, you know, ragtag, ordinary band of Christians who failed so often, so much, how is it that from there grew this Christian movement that within 300 years would eventually take over the entire Roman Empire? And he just said, really simply, that it was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That is, lay people, not trained preachers and evangelists who carried on the mission, and they would just go out in informal conversations in homes, wine shops, on walks, around the market stalls. They did naturally, enthusiastically. In other words, every Christian evangelized wherever they went. This is how uh, the world Christian movement just spread within the first 300 years, despite all odds. Now think about this, right? When these same people were under the, quote, gifted ministry of the apostles, they've been passive. They relied on the apostles to do the ministry and evangelism. And they probably thought, you know what, that's not my gift. That's their gift. They do it far better than I could ever do. I'm not comfortable doing things like that. But when they were forced to scatter, the apostles weren't there by their side. They weren't there to rely on. They were pretty much thrust into action. Now, it's really simple math. You take 100 Christians they will far outnumber one apostle any day to reach far more people. Now, were they as eloquent? Were they as gifted in their leadership and communication? Probably not. But in many ways, the testimony of just the everyday believer is in many ways far more powerful. It feels more authentic. You know the everyday grind, the struggles, everything in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, in the home. Uh, you know exactly. You are like the missionary who feels and knows, and, it, and you know exactly all the, all the little struggles and joys and triumphs, all of that. You know it to a much greater degree. And that's why it's more powerful. We sometimes feel like, who am I to tell others about Jesus? I, I don't feel good enough as a Christian. Uh, I don't have the courage. You know, I'm not, I'm not Adam. I'm not Dean. I, you know, I'm not a pastor. But God has uniquely placed you where you're at. You may be the only Christian in your neighborhood or in your department in your workplace. 
you may be the closest thing to Jesus that the people around you will ever know and see. Who are the people that God has scattered you to? Who are these people right around you that no matter what, uh, no gifted pastor, no matter how gifted, they'll never be able to reach. But you are there, and God has placed you. You are the representation of Jesus. You are his hands, his feet, and his mouth right there. Only you can reach them by his grace. And finally, God's glory. God's glory is found in the power and joy of the gospel. So, Acts gives this example of Philip. It says in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw all the signs that he did. Now, Philip is a, a great example of someone who is not only just going about uh, preaching the gospel. And by the way, Philip, you know, one of the 12 d- disciples, but you don't hear much about Philip, right? You, you know about Peter, you know about John and, and those guys. But who's Philip? I mean, you know, you don't hear much about him. But I'm so glad here in Acts 8, Luke highlights Philip. He's the one, he's an example of the everyday person who just went out preaching the word, sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel. But he is also not only an example of that, he's an illustration of the very gospel itself. The Samaritans and Jews, uh, they hated each other fiercely. There was bitter ethnic rivalry between them. Think about Ukraine, Russia. Taiwan, China, USC, UCLA. Okay, okay. All right. There we go. So, no, that, that, yeah. Um, But it's sent back from Assyria in 722 when uh, they came and attacked the northern kingdom of Israel. And then the Israelites were forced to to leave their country, their homes. Uh, They were deported to Israel. But then what happened was... Uh, some of the Assyrians came and they pretty much intermarried with the remaining Israelites right there. Uh, so the rest of the nation of Israel and, and uh, Judah, they kind of saw them as sort of like a Mongol race. Uh, the Samaritans even built their own temple and uh, they said, okay, you know what? We actually don't believe in most of the scriptures. We're only going to believe in the first five books of the Bible. That's it. And we're going to throw the rest out. So you can imagine the Jews looked at the Samaritans and thought, these guys are just crazy. They are heretics. I mean, they're just completely gone. But this is an example that the gospel is for all people. Philip, a Jewish man, goes to Samaria to preach the gospel, and the gospel had completely changed Philip's way of thinking and seeing the world. Before Philip became a Christian, he too would have despised the Samaritans. He would have looked down on them, and he would have never thought about going to Samaria. He, thought, he would have thought they were just completely hopeless and gone. There's just absolutely no way. But Philip knows that the gospel is for everybody, and that everyone is hopeless apart from Jesus. 
The gospel tells us that we, are, we were all hopeless and lost. But Jesus left the comforts, the glory of his throne in heaven. He comes down to look for us who were completely gone, completely out there. He rescues us through his death and his resurrection out of his great love for you and I. And he goes all the way to the cross to pay the debts for our sins. He rises again in triumph to say, you and I, we belong to him. This is the gospel. He offers grace and forgiveness to all those who would turn to him and trust him by faith. And the result, uh, Luke tells us, is there is great joy in the city. Great joy. This is what the gospel does. There's great joy to be found in Christ, is there not? No matter what you're going through, no matter how dark, no matter what circumstances are going on in your life, there is great joy to be had in this gospel that never changes. God's love for you that will remain the same no matter what, that will be with you through every season of life because Christ paid the debts of our sins on the cross. And God's glory is displayed through Jesus. It's displayed through Jesus. Is there someone that you think is beyond the hope of the gospel? You think, ah, oh, there's no way. Or maybe you keep praying for that child of yours. You're not seeing anything happen. Your spouse, that family member. And you feel, ah, oh, this is hopeless. So discouraging. Where is God? I don't see anything happening. But keep hoping and trusting because the gospel is God's power to save. In the darkest times, when things seem discouraging, when things seem even like they're going against you, this is when God's light shines the brightest. We see this because it depends on God's grace, not on you and I. And that's the great thing. Our church plant, um, the well, SGV, I am so proud of the people who are part of this church plant. Um, I think, very honestly, like one of the, the greatest joys for me of, of being part of this church plant is the it's honestly, I mean, it's just, it's the people who are coming. And each of them have left a lot of comfort. Uh, they're taking risks. They are taking the same risks as, as myself. I, we don't know what's going to happen. All we have is the sense of vision. We know God's heart. We have Jesus, we have the gospel, we have the Holy Spirit. But that's all we've got. And, we, and we're just going to step out. But we step out knowing that at the end of the day, yeah, we do our work. And we're going to 
you know, we're gonna, we're gonna try to make disciples and all that, but at the end of the day, we know it doesn't depend on us. At the end of the day, we know it's him who does the work. It's God. It's God, uh, by his spirit, filling us in our hearts, working through us. And, he, and so that's all we've got. All we have is Jesus. But that's all we need. If God is for you, who can be against you? It's the Lord who builds his house. And so we have the most powerful resource we could ever have. It's God who's using just very ordinary people uh, for his glory and by his grace. And this is the work of making disciples. And this is what's great about it. We get to see what God is doing. Amen.